What we do here is go back, 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 back. back. It does no service to creating value for people where I came from if I won't say where I came from. And so nobody thought any thought this movie was going to work, and it did. One of my greatest struggles as a journalist is that I'm an emotional person and I'm a sensitive person. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. 10,000 Knows is built on the premise that hearing stories of struggle from people who most of us would consider to be successful is a way for the rest of us to realize that we're not alone. If you've already subscribed on iTunes and you like what you hear, please share it with others. You can take a screenshot of your phone while you're listening, post it on your social media, tag at Maddie Dell on Instagram or at Matthew Del Negro on Twitter and Facebook, email it to friends, or just let people know it exists and how you found it. If you can leave an iTunes review, even better. That really helps. Either way, I appreciate you listening, and I hope you're as inspired by my guests as I am. I don't care what you do, how you do it. I don't care where your feet are or where you're looking or your turnout or where your voice is coming from or what the lighting looks like or what the costumes look like. Just make me feel different than the way I feel right now. Welcome to this episode of 10,000 Knows. Last year, I worked on an anthology show on Hulu called Dimension 404. It was a quirky comedy with heart. I loved the experience, and one of the takeaways was meeting a unique and funny cat named Utkarsh Ambedkar. You may know him from the Barbershop movies or Pitch Perfect or as Mindy Kaling's rapping brother on The Mindy Project or his recent stint as Malcolm on Showtime's White Famous. He's got a really interesting story that involves him blasting through stereotypes, originating the role of Aaron Burr for the wildly successful Hamilton before it hit Broadway, and rapping his way into Hollywood like Eminem in 8 Mile. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Alright, I, I am here with Utkarsh Anbudkar. Am I am I pronouncing that correctly? Yep. Utkarsh Anbudkar. Utkarsh Anbudkar, because I saw you on... Um, on Instagram at one point, you were, were you in South Africa or somewhere? Maybe. You were I went somewhere. to Cape Town. Okay. You went to Cape Town yeah. and you were, and you were like, and yeah, nobody mispronounced my name here. And I was like, oh no, I probably butchered his name when it's we were working together. It's a soft T. The name is, it's Utkarsh. Utkarsh. Yeah. You know, but if you I said, said it like perfectly. that, you'd think I was like Alex Trebek. <laughs> hey, so it's my but Utkarsh. It's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a very, it's like, well, let's just, let's keep it in the American uh, dialect. Um, but yeah, you got it. So, so. Utkarsh, as I like to say, mm. is um, is is uh, really if you if you look him up or you think you go okay he's an actor but really uh, you do a ton of things I mean you do a ton of things very well uh, thank you we we got to get into you're welcome you got to get into like the rapping we got to get into your singing um, I I was googling you last night and watching you do a little tracks oh, in my yeah. tracks in my tears. Um, you uh, you dance too? Not yeah, sure. I He's, can. I move enough. <laughs> I move enough. He's got a. You got your podcast. We were just talking about. We can. We can right. kind of talk about that. Um, we met working together on a show on Hulu called Dimension Four Hundred Four, and we had a good time together. We connected, and we're just realizing now we have not seen each other. Since then, which was like a year and a half ago, which is crazy to me. Yeah, it's a, I mean, you have kids and you have a family and I'm uh, 
irresponsible friend. <laughs> and that's my excuse. But that's what's so great about these podcasts is that people that you don't see who are your uh, friends or that you are able to connect with creatively and, and business-wise, like you run into them and life takes over. And then you're like, hey, 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 hey I really want to catch up with that person. I also want to make it productive. Why don't you come chat with me for an hour? We'll talk, we'll deep dive on some topics and like, this will be great, man. It's so good to see you. You're, you know, it was uh, so nice to connect with you when we did that show and I'm looking forward to this. So it's going to be a good little afternoon here yeah. and we get to link right. up and then in two years, we'll do it again. We'll do it again. You exactly. got to come and on that, my And that's podcast. kind of the nature, I'd love to, That that's kind of the nature of this business in general though, is you kind of, you know, you get, and we work together pretty quickly. I mean, that was like a intense one week and that was it. Um, but then I feel like we were, talking about this before we we started recording i feel like i i have seen you because i I follow you on instagram so i see i mean you crack me up the posts with your your parents yeah it's real it's it's endearing and and it's funny you like especially with your mom I mean, you just like, <laughs> you, uh, I'm wondering like when the, when the camera cuts, is your mom like, what are you doing? Or is she totally game for it? She's, you know, it's a combo of both. Like uh, for anyone, uh, my Instagram is U-T-K-T-H-E-I-N-C. And you can see some videos of my mother and father and me uh, driving them crazy. They're game, man. Like yeah. at this point, we get to spend quality time together. We're all healthy. We're all happy. You know, we work hard. We respect each other, you know. We, you know, we cherish the time that we get to spend together. And it's really cool. Like, that's not to say that it's a perfect family. I mean, like, you know, my parents invented all of my buttons. So there are irritable moments and restless moments. And, you know, it's not white picket fences, but we, uh, we really care. We have a good time together. So when I pull out the camera and I do silly things like that, it's to entertain them as much as it is everybody, you know, whatever, watching on their phones or their devices. And, uh... My mom and my dad get like the most likes of anything I post. Well, they're funny. I mean, the, the, you know what it is? It's the relationship. I think they're they're funny. They're game for it, and and your relationship with them, like you just keep, you know, it's like, we have a good time. You, you have this kind of sense of humor where I feel like you can get away with things. I, I noticed it when we were working together on set. You just you've got a lightness to you that you get away with things because you're so good natured and, <laughs> and kind of light. And I think that's like what it is with your parents on Instagram. It's like, you're, you're not, you're, you're not trying to expose anyone. You're laughing with everybody. And it's, right. it's kind of a good natured. That's the idea. You know, I think that's the only thing is when we, my parents, it's, there's two layers. Obviously they're my parents. So they're from an older generation. They're also immigrants. I mean, not like, you know, and they don't have like, my mom is highly educated. They're both PhD scientists. Oh, wow. But there is, and my father as well, but there is sort of that, you don't want to be poking fun at them, right? You don't want to be like, hey, look at these old Indian people. How silly are they? And I'm cognizant of that. And they're aware of that. And really, it's just about a fucking, ooh, can I curse? Yeah, you could curse. I, Sorry. I, I, there, oh, there's that a out. whole thing. If you went back and listened, in the beginning, I was throwing down F-bombs all over the place. And my dad was like, I don't know. I my like parents did the same I feel thing. Like maybe you're, you know, ostracizing a whole section yeah. of people that might otherwise want to listen. I'm like, I don't care. F-bomb, F-bomb. And then, and then finally I heard it back and I was like, hey, yeah, if one slips I'm smarter in, than that. If one slips in here or there, that's great. But I don't, yeah. I don't need to. So, but that's fine. Yeah. So like, uh, it's more about the relationship between like this knucklehead son and his two much smarter parents <laughs> who are just like, how did we make 
this rapping comedian goofball. How did this happen? Yeah. My mom jokingly still says like, you can always go back to school and you can get that degree and you can start working the microscope like the rest of us normal people. Okay. Well, so wait, I want to pick up on that because you, you jokingly, know, it's, by it's, the way. Yeah. And it's because my, you know, they joke, but my dad's still rocking my Mindy project coat that I got as a rap gift all over Maryland, just yeah. getting love in yeah, every Ross and Marshalls all over Gaithersburg, <laughs> Maryland. Yeah. So they, they are proud. And, and well, that's here's what I'm going to say about the intelligence. I know you're, you're being self-deprecating and, and you're kind of, you know, that's your charm, but I was watching a clip of you last night. Um, it was something, cause I was like, yeah, we're just going to sit down and talk. I'm like, but I, I should just, you know, Go around right, 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 right. and look at Who's some stuff. Who is this guy? Who's this guy? I'm talking in tomorrow. No, so I saw some clip where TMZ like tracked you down at the airport. I think uh, at LAX. Oh yeah. And the guy came up and he was beatboxing and you were rapping and and I just kept thinking, you know, uh, the the intelligence with with vocabulary that you have just to to be able to on the spot. Go right into it. And you told me, maybe that's what I'd like to talk about. When we were working, you told me about like the, the underground battles you used to do. Oh, yeah. So so just for those of you that that uh, don't know what Utkarsh looks like, he he's, you know, looks like a, a scholar. If you pass him on the street, you're like, oh, this guy, he could be like a young professor. And he, <laughs> he was at NYU in the 90s, right? In the 90s? 2000s. 2000s early 2000s. Early 2000s. And he was doing, if you've seen 8 Mile, the stuff like Eminem was doing underground with, yep. what was it, Papa Doc? What was that? <laughs> yeah, Papa Doc. <laughs> the, Clarence. Those underground battles. And, and Utkarsh was doing that for real. Like, yeah. So tell me about that. Well, you know, I went to NYU for, for acting school, right? And I quickly realized that I wasn't going to be getting what I wanted out of acting school. This isn't to disparage um, the craft you know, I learned a lot of stuff about my body, uh, how to hold poise on stage, my voice, how to how to use that and preserve it on stage. But the mentality and the psychology that was going on in acting school wasn't for me, which is to say, like, it's all about the art and, and there's no business aspect and working professionally is not what we're here for. And like, I'm here to work. I came to acting school as an end, as a means to an end. The end being a being a professional actor. Like the mean, I didn't want to go to acting school to end up teaching at acting school. Right. There's nothing wrong with being an educator, and I've done it, but I I I I just didn't have the spirit for being in an institution where you're surrounded by people who are all being hypercritical of each other, and we're all in our late teens or early twenties, and we don't know what the hell we're talking about, and you just end up having your work be pulled apart for no reason when the reason I started doing things was for like the the you know the the mom who's like overworked and sits down in the middle of the theater just hoping to escape or the person who's having a bad day and it's just like just make me smile like yeah. I don't care what you do how you do it I don't care where your feet are or where you're looking or your turnout or where your voice is coming from or what the lighting looks like or what the costumes look like just make me feel different than a, the way I feel right now. And that I can get behind. And that's why I do what I do. So I had to find other means to get that passion, to get that juice. So there was this movie that came out at the time called Slam, starring Saul Williams. And Saul Williams is like the great granddaddy giving tree for many of us hip hop artists of that generation. Uh, um, 
And it was a phenomenal movie. And I saw it in high school and I was like, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. <laughs> and I started writing voraciously. And um, I'd always wanted to, you know, make up songs and stuff like that. But I started going to this place in New York called the New York and Poets Cafe and competing there. Doing they used to always have... Uh Stuff and and backstage. Yes, I remember because I used to go through backstage and oh, circle yeah. for auditions and like send my headshots. And yeah, like all that. and and I always used to see New York, New York, Yeah, New York Post yeah. Cafe. It was an Alphabet City before anything was there. It was like you know you go to Third and C, I believe, is where it is, and you're just like, where am I? I'm scared. But like, <laughs> it was dope. I started competing there. And then I would. So free. were they teaching there? They were. No, no. Were, I would just. There? I just showed up with my notebook and, and I started like an open competing. Mic type thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and doing these um, competitions. And then I would uh, freestyle rap, like basically, like somebody would pull out a guitar and we'd be sitting around, you know, probably having some drinks and some extra stuff. And I would just start talking about what's happening in the room, you know, off the top of my head. And at the beginning, it wasn't very good. Like I'd just be like, "Oh, yeah." Front to the back, sitting here, ripping it with my friend Matt. Uh, knock it out of the park with the bat. UTK and I'm the coolest cat. Uh, anybody get up into a spat, they're going to say I kicked him in the face like bat, bat. <laughs> a boom, boom, what you do in the room? My, 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 my man is spitting it true. And it was very like, like, but people loved it, right? Yeah. And it became this party trick. That my that something in my mind was able to sort of compute yeah. the given surroundings and uh, and and you know transform them into this sort of musical style. So I realized I was like, oh, people like this. I like attention. I sure do love attention, right? <laughs> and this is while you were at NYU. This is while I'm at NYU, and then okay. I and then I started taking it more and more seriously, and I started listening to some of the legends, as we call them, of hip-hop. You know, I started studying the Rakims and the Slick Ricks and um, early Roots stuff, uh, Black Thought. I started Big Daddy Kane. Um, you know, B-I-G-D-A-W-D-Y-K-A-N-E. Yeah. I was in the Serving any, yeah, many. It's the B-I-G, what is it? It's the B-I-G, the D-A-W-D-Y-K-A-N-E. That's like, anyway, so stuff like that, I started going back and I always loved hip-hop, but I started studying it. And when you start studying things on your own, it's super exciting. And no one's telling you how to study it. And a friend, and I saw him rapping and I'm rapping and I'm rapping. And I started performing a little bit. And my friend then was like, hey, man, there's a spot called Sinsen. There's an open mic every Monday night. You get in a long, long, long line of MCs. There's a live band and you get some, you get time. You get to come up. How much time would they give you? It's 16 bars. So maybe 30 seconds. Okay. But if you suck, you get booed off. And if you're dope, you get more. So the first time I went, you know, identity is a big part of music too. Like, as you know, when you act and anybody who's creative knows that at first we're always playing at something. Yeah. We're copying the people we love. And then somewhere along the way, we drop into who we really are. Yeah. And sometimes it's not who we want to be, but it, it's our authentic delivery is what makes us special, right? So for instance, when I first used to rap i'd be like ah, ah, and like real busta rhymes and like really like a lot of yelling and i'm yelling and telling them <laughs> and, 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 and or like i'd go sean paul because i loved reggae and i'd be like and people it's not real yeah. but now like i come to find that my vocal tone is here when i rap i like to be smooth i like to be clear so i'm more of like a q-tip 
do I want to be Q-Tip? I love Q-Tip. Not really. Yeah. I'd much rather be Busta Rhymes for my personal taste, but that's not who I am. Yeah. That's not where I succeed. In any case, I, I started doing these open mics and to, I already sort of said what I, what I did, but I was Sean Paul the first day yeah. and it crashed and burned. And the Did one you get thing, pulled off before you're 16? Oh, uh, yeah. Like, nobody was like, hey, good job, buddy. Yeah. They were like, you suck. <laughs> um, and the thing is, is for me, failure has always been such a great learning tool. Like, I crash and burn hard. I get super embarrassed. I get really frustrated. Then I get real angry, historically speaking. And that anger at myself, probably more than anyone, for being for a lack of preparation or a lack of authenticity, puts a fire in me. And then I just obsessively do it yeah. until I get good enough at it that I can never feel that way again. And that's what I did. And I just went every fucking Monday, excuse me, I went every Monday from like 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. And I was just there. And at, in, at the cafe? Yeah, at or, that And spot, then you would still go to the, oh, the club. You would go to the one at that you went. At that Club. Sinsen, and then okay. I'd go out and anywhere that there was a microphone, I would be there. And I would just go and go and go. And we... And then I found people like me who were like-minded artists who could rap at NYU. And like Donald Glover was one of them. You remember, I mean, not remember. You know who Donald Glover yeah, is. Yeah. He was there. Childish Gambino. We did a track together in college. I don't even remember what it was. I do remember he was the RA of his dorm and he wouldn't let me smoke weed in his room because uh, he was the RA. And he's like, no, nah, man, you can't do that. And I was like, you going to make me walk around Washington Square Park smoking a joint? I might not come back. But I did. And we made some song, which will never be heard by the human human race. Anyhow, then I started doing these rap battles. And uh, again, the first one I lost, a lot of people called out, much like 8 Mile, the fact that I'm Indian and use that against me. Yeah. So I had to figure out how to circumnavigate that. And then I started winning. Then it's like, I know how to beat you. I know what to say. I know what to do. And I'll carve you apart. And then... And it was fun for a time. How so, long of a time? Maybe like a year. If we're doing like a battle every month, like I won or got to the finals of like every every battle. And that was really wow. fun. And, it's, and how many people would be competing in a given? 16 MCs, 150, 200 people in this club that you could probably reach if you raised your hand to the yeah. ceiling. Yeah. Packed sardines in a can, loud screaming. Lower East Side? Yep. Yeah. East Village of Manhattan. And there's some great stories from those nights. Um, and what was the age range? Like you were like late teens at the time. Yeah, I was getting you, underage. You, so were you younger than a lot of the guys you're yeah. going against? Yeah, going yeah, against? for sure. Yeah. By years. Really? Oh, yeah. So I'm probably like And were 20. you the only Indian? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, without question. That's so weird that it's just like second nature. I'm the only Indian in most rooms in Hollywood that I walk into. Huh. I'm the only Indian on most sets, bro. We're talking 250 people, 300 people. White Famous, the Showtime show. Yeah. I'm the only Indian in like a half mile radius. <laughs> it's uh, Well, that's what's so, been so great to watch you since we worked together. I, I feel like you've really, this last, whatever it is, year and a half, it seems to me, have like come on the scene in a, in a big way. White Famous, you were a series regular on, on yeah, that, right? that was cool. Um. That and was a fun show too. Just sorry to interrupt, no. but like the role of Malcolm on White Famous, which you know has since been canceled, um, which is okay. It's fine. Yeah, the no, role of um, Malcolm. Sorry. 
It's okay. Creatively, I think I got everything I could out of that character. I really am going to miss working with Jay and Jacob and Cleo and, you know, the other and Lonnie, little Lonnie. I wanted to see him grow up. I mean, I will, but, you know, like in real time. Yeah. But uh, I think I got creatively everything I could out of that character. Um, In any case, that role of Malcolm on White Famous, uh, still available for streaming on Showtime, (laughs) was written for a a black guy, a light-skinned black actor. Really? Is is what it says in the script. Yeah. Like, just to be fucking clear here, a light-skinned black actor is what it says in the script. So don't get weird. And then I went in for the role and I rewrote my audition and tailored it for an Indian character. And I'm super proud of that because everything that I did in my audition, we ended up using in that first episode. Yeah. And it's cool to see that you've written and create, actually created something that wasn't there before. Yeah. Especially in the format, as you know, of Hollywood and network stuff and premium channel stuff where everything is micromanaged and really held onto dearly. And they don't give us as actors much room right. or Power is maybe too dramatic a word, but a lot of creative room, right? They're like, this is what you do, do it. We hired you because you got a strong jaw and like, whatever, you look good in a suit. I mean, it's not that simple, but so I was super proud of that. But, and that's sort of the ways, I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but that's a way as a South Asian in this business that I sort of am, um, I guess sort of sliding past the stereotype, just sort of sidestepping it, like yeah. just trying to freaking like just duck and bob and weave around it and and sneak my way well, into I mean, like you've normal kind roles. Of bash the stereotype with like like a underground battling Indian Who? rapper. Like I I don't know anybody else. I mean maybe you do, but I I, don't I know, know a few. You know? That's it, who I am. Yeah. Right. So who I am, I think I'd like to think, thanks to my parents and a lot of mentors and people who have chipped away at the ego and, um, you know, hubris and and stuff of my past, the arrogance and been like, no, this is who you can be. You can be somebody, you can have confidence and also like show up on time and like be a good guy. Yeah. Like you don't have to be a dick and you don't have to disrespect people's time. Uh, Talent is not an excuse for bad behavior and potential is, uh, is just a word. Yeah. Like- Come on, like, like a lot of people have, have helped me not be a, to- a dick because yeah. it's easy to be one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, what I wanted to just point out because you're saying you're jumping around, but I actually see a lot of connections between what you're saying, which is, um, you know, just a, something for people that are listening to think about the really important, um, a kind of a really important uh, theme for anyone is is what you were talking about with finding your authentic voice and in the beginning putting on all these other you're really putting on other people's personas and it's not authentic and it's not until you strip away the layers and reveal yourself that you start to find people connect to you and that takes overcoming fear because it's it's scary to do that because you know I, I mean I had this thing when I was about to do this podcast and I was I was with my brother and sister and, and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm hemming and hawing. I want to do it. And I said, and my brother said, well, what's the problem? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just kind of scared. Like, what if I put it out there and people are talking smack about it? And he's like, dude, you made out with a guy on national TV on Scandal. <laughs> like you played a gay male prostitute right. and you're scared to do that. And I said, yeah, but that's, that's through someone else's lens. That's me going in. This is 
I'm deciding who's coming on this show. I'm talking as myself, not as someone else. And it's hard. I think it's it's scary to do that. But what what you find is that you end up connecting more with people because you're yeah. And, and so you're talking about that also with the role of Malcolm that you did that right. Do you find that um, do you find that having started this podcast and having these conversations that that fear like how quickly did that fear um, be revealed as just in your head? I mean, I still grapple with it, but um, because it's the validation thing, right? Like we're doing this and we're sitting here. But somewhere, and myself as well, like we're hoping there's this little voice and the ego is going, God, I hope a million people listen to this. And yeah. if a million people don't listen to this, you're a loser. Right, <laughs> and right. And that's the thing that I have to deal with is like, well, if if it's not going to be huge and a gigantic success, why bother? Well, that's been what's interesting about this is that it's been so... That Low voice, key. by the way, is like not real. That voice totally. is trying to that, stop me. Yeah, I mean that that voice that that critic is creates a lot of it, it starts to put words in other people's mouths that, oh, that yeah. don't really exist. And and even if it even if that was the case, that's what I'm finding. It's like even if that was the case, who who cares? Someone's yeah. someone's talking about you somewhere anyway. Yeah, you know. And and really, it's I guess if you're doing something that you believe in, that's what's been kind of great about this is like it's so small and it's it's like this little gorilla thing that i'm doing i mean here we are i came to, you know a lot of times people come to me and you set up but great. you know just i'm here at your place and like who who's going to shut it down yeah. nobody so it doesn't Maybe it doesn't matter if two camera people. outside yeah, of my I window well i got i got the the sound guy usually takes so i i've tried to not mention it because a lot of times i'll be like i'm i'm really sorry about the jackhammer out there and then you hear it and it's like james the guy who edits uh-huh. it and takes out the he, he like totally removes it so i look like i'm crazy you know there's so, never construction here and just, and just today now, there's yeah. somebody out there building a house. I don't even uh, know I've what's had, happening. You know, out people there. have gone by with lawnmowers and we've done it at, at my place. It's it's it is what it is. But but no, that this this thought of like of being your authentic self and having the courage to just to put it out there is I think it runs through both of those things you just said. And you did now, didn't you have a connection to um were you, did you originate the role, uh, one of the roles in Hamilton? What was, uh, what yeah, was that yeah. story? Or is that not, can you not talk about that? Or I, I can talk about it like. By uh, the way, I still have not seen it. Okay. And my kids just signed up. They're doing it like this spring. They're doing, oh, cool. they're doing a version of it. So cute. In like a community theater. So yeah. Yeah. So. And if you can't talk about it, that's totally cool. No, but, I can, I can speak to how, how, uh, how that happened. Um, so when I was battling. I also, I was still in acting school, right? So like hip hop and rapping is the lifeblood of my acting career. Uh, What happened was, and I'll I'll try and do this quickly. So um, when I was at NYU, I was like, I got to get out of here. So I graduated a little bit early because I had credits from high school because AP classes, because PhD parents, done. Cheated my way through AP courses. I mean, I still had to take those tests to pass. So I did something academically correct. Anyway, uh, I took this on-camera class at a place called Stone Street Studios. What happens is you meet an agent or a manager every week, right? At the end of, on Friday, you meet the agent, you do your little copy thing, you read your commercial copy and ding, 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 like, ah, you're going to be famous. So 
after like a week, I was like, man, this shit might be whack. This might not be the right choice. So a career choice. Uh, or, or just or like, this material. Yeah, this yeah. material. Or, or like, this what, am I, what am yeah. I doing in this class, this yeah. course? And it's, again, like, this says more about me and my feeling about institutions and um, power dynamics at the time and my defiance than it does about the quality of the actual program. It's just me being like, I don't want to be told what to do. Yeah. You know, that yeah, yeah. I'm, I was very hard. I was not very teachable. Um, that can be a, an asset in this, uh, I think. We'll talk about that. So so um, we meet an agent the first week. I'm like heated. I'm like, I don't want to be here. So it's like a, a copy for dentine ice or Listerine or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dentine ice, chew it. It makes your breath fucking fresh. And she goes, and I said that actually. She's like, you can't say an F word in the audition. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. Here's the thing. I'm like, I'm here. I'm Indian. I know you guys need diversity. Like, I just went to acting school. I can make you a lot of money. Um, but I'm a rapper. I'm going to... These words came out of my mouth. But I'm a rapper, and I'm a hip-hop artist, and that's what I'm going to do with my life. And I handed her a flyer for my battle on a little fucking postcard for my battle that Monday. And I was like, you could see me here doing what I do. <laughs> and she, her eyes lit up, and she was like, oh, you do poetry, and you do... You're a rapper? And I was like, uh, this isn't, this is not going how I thought it was going to go. I was like, yeah, that's what I do. And she was like, well, let's, uh, you want to get out of here? I was like, okay. So we took a walk and she was smoking a cigarette and she offered me one. I didn't smoke, but I took the cigarette and choked it down like parliament light. Two days later, she signed me. Her name's Heather Finn. She works at this little boutique agency called Frontier Booking International in Times Square. Um, Frontier Booking, wait. I was with Frontier Booking. Heather and John, John Shea. Shea. Yeah, John <laughs> Shea is my first agent, man. Yeah, they were one of my first agents. John and Marion and Heather. That is hysterical. John Shea is a character. Oh my God. We had the same agent. Look at us, Matt. Holy See? Holy cow. God brings you together for a reason. Wow. So you know John. Yeah. You know John. He was like this super, you know, he was like the typical New York agent where he wouldn't really say anything nice to you. But he'd, he'd fight for you and he'd show up at all the shows and he'd get you work, but he would never compliment you. Yeah. It was that old agent actor dynamic of like, I'm the one in power. Yeah. Like, don't forget who's boss. Yeah. And I loved it because I was like, I pay you, bro. Like, yeah. you're so cute. But anyway, so I I got signed with that agent inexplicably. Um, and then I, I booked a play, a hip hop play. And the producer of that play was like, hey, he came to one of my battles. And he was like, hey, I know these guys. You should meet them. Those guys were called Freestyle Love Supreme. And I came in and I sat with these guys. There was Christopher Jackson, um, Tommy Kale, the director, Anthony Veneziali, the uh, host, Chris Shockwave Sullivan, the beatboxer, and Bill Sherman, the keyboardist, and then one Mr. Lin-Manuel Miranda. Um, and I walked in and Lin and I... Were like two dogs from the same litter who had been separated at birth. Oh. And you're like, why do you look and sound and smell exactly like I do? Where <laughs> did you come from? And I started rapping with these guys and I fell in love with what they do. And I fell in love and I, I was able, you know, to fast forward to find my own voice through them, which is to say that in, your, in the hip hop world at the time, I'm uh, sorry to be crude, but I'm swinging my dick a lot on stage. I'm like, I'm the best, never settle for less. And now the girls be pressed and beaten. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. super ego driven. 
I get with Freestyle Love Supreme. They bring me into the group. I audition. They say, you're the guy. We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. And they're, my Tommy Kale is like, look, this ego thing ain't going to fly. I want you to rap about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles with as much ego as you rap about yourself. Can you specify your, your rhyming? Because when you can do that, when you can deep dive on a cup of tea and the tannins and this and that and the color of the tea and the taste and peppermint and all the different kinds, it's so much more interesting to me and skillful than when you talk about yourself. And it took a, it was great a great, lesson. it was a great challenge and it took a few shows for me to get it, but they were, and it was a crash course. It wasn't. How old were you at this point? 21, 21, 22. And it wasn't like, uh okay, we're going to just like massage you into the group. It was like, you're in and we're going to hold you to the same standard that we've been holding ourselves for. We have a well-oiled machine. How long have they been together? Two or three years. Wow. And they were selling out shows in New York regularly. Lynn was about to do In the Heights. Um, So that's how I joined that group. And we had fun, man. We still have fun. We're a family. We all have matching tattoos somewhere on our bodies. And so like seven years ago, Lynn came to me and was like, I got something. I got something brewing. I was like, okay, okay, dude. And he was like, Hamilton. I was like, I don't know who that is. And then <laughs> and then we did this show at Lincoln Center. And Lynn does this, you know, when he's workshopping projects, he brings his friends in. I did it with Bring It On as well. And uh, so I played Aaron Burr at Lincoln Center. And then I went up to Poughkeepsie, New York, and I did Aaron Burr again. And... Uh, and yeah, and that's sort of as much of that story as I can tell because there's much more of it that yeah. I want to save because it's because yeah. it's something else. But that's sort of those guys are like my family, and yeah, like I've heard, you know, I have the original music to Hamilton somewhere in this apartment, you know, yeah. like with yeah. all the notes and like all the songs that got cut and yeah. all that stuff, and that's exciting. Yeah, it's also cool to be able to go see it whenever the hell I want. Like, yeah. I have no problem How bragging about that. How many times have you that. seen it? You seen it a bunch. I saw it two. Two times, three times in New York and once here in LA. So I saw it once. And then the second time I saw it, oh, was right when we were doing Dimension 404. Okay. Because I think I left Dimension 404 and went to New York. And oh, maybe it doesn't matter. I was going, like, we are talking about me joining the show later. Okay. Yeah. Maybe there's something, maybe it came up in some way. But turns out, like, yo, man, I never done a Broadway show. I haven't done a. musicals since I was 17 years old and the way that they do Broadway um, replacements is like you don't get rehearsal you get like a walkthrough on stage and then you're in whoa and it's like I can't I mean yeah maybe I could but I would greatly benefit from an actual rehearsal process instead of just being dropped on stage in the biggest show ever yeah in the middle of Times Square and being like Go be Jefferson or go be Hamilton. Wow, that's scary. And then I'd be yeah. like, um, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> cut, 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 cut. That <laughs> like, is scary. Yeah. So Hamilton is is a really, there's much more to that story that I have to save. Yeah, for, yeah. Save for it creative for, reasons. Yeah. Um, um, but to go back to what we were talking about, about how you were saying like breaking the mold, right? This The Indian thing. And I don't know what it, this is like for you. You're a tall, handsome Caucasian man with, you know, uh, angular features and whatever it is, great teeth. Like you're a super American ideal of That's what a good looking we'll guy is. Thank you. We'll get in. Like you're totally like the dude, 6'3", 6'4". 6'4". Yeah. You're like yeah. a hot guy. 
Like <laughs> you're a total bro. And like bro. for me, like I know I've learned and I, I deal with it every day about this self-worth thing and self-esteem thing. But again, I have practices and a spiritual practice that sort of help me combat those those negative voices, right? But I'm a rapper. Yeah, I've traveled the world teaching. I've won battles. Uh, you know, I've been I've like been in the hip hop groups. I've opened up for LMFAO, a Public Enemy, Questlove, like Santi Gold. Like I've done all the music festivals. Like I've been in Freestyle Love Supreme. Like worked with Broadway folks. This, that, and the third. So like I can see that I'm a well-rounded human being. Yeah, and kind of like a cool guy. I on feel paper. like a butt is coming. But exactly when I walk into a audition room, none of that serves me. Because we're talking about a guy who looks like me, which is like you said, like you said, a scholar should be, right? I should be some sort of academic. And let's think about it in the context of what a South Asian man is in Hollywood, at least up until this point. He's at best a doctor or a sidekick or an asexual bit player on the show that's there to service our white lead, but will never really have uh, sort of his own his own storyline or or be like um, an attractive right cool he's not gonna be cool and um, he also is nerdy and nebbish and uh, intellectual and sort of and if he's not that then like I'm finding the other lane is that sort of then he's a great actor and a great dude Joel McHale lane which is like he can be sort of the douchey antagonist yeah maybe he can be kind of like a bad guy like maybe but he's never gonna be like the just normal dude with a storyline so when I come in as the normal dude in life who's lived a full free life and a creative one at that and I'm I've got friends who and people around me who reflect that that life that I've been afforded and a privilege to, to live, it does me a disservice in the audition room. And the guy who comes in, who's really the nerd, who, by the way, there are many of them who are super, super talented, like yeah. really charming, like just great actors. Yeah. I don't get those. I don't, yeah, I obviously don't get those roles because I'm uh, the, and I don't know what your version of the no's are, right? Because this is called 10,000 no's. Yeah. Almost every one of my no's is, yeah, he's just too cool. He's too cool for this nerdy Indian dog walker. Right. He's too cool for this nerdy Indian school teacher opposite Laura Dern or whatever it is. Like, he's too, you know, he's too cool. He's too cool. And then the too cool, so it's like. You're in between. I have a version of that, though. Yeah, what's your version? Well, my version of that is when you say, oh, you're, you know, you're. All American. You're too hot. I think you're. <laughs> you go. You go. You're. You're all American. And I think. Yeah, I do. Uh, all American. You, you know. Uh, but when you stack me against a blonde haired blue eyed guy or a dark haired blue eyed guy who doesn't have you know the the bump on his nose, I've gotten a lot of, too ethnic. Mm. So I I end up like and then for some of the ethnic roles it's like he's too leading man. So there's 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 a version of it for all of us which is. I mean, I, um, I feel like there, there are a lot of times where I'll go in, you know, for, for a pilot, I'll go in for a pilot and I think I'm more right for the, the lead of the show 
but it will go to, it'll end up going to someone, it'll be offered to someone who's more famous than I am. And I'll go in for another role. And I think I have hopefully the acting chops to be considered for that. And I'll be up for it. And a lot of times lose it to someone who's more charactery. Mm. Because I'm kind of that in a in a way this similar thing of and I wonder if just every actor feels that way, but I you know I always feel like I'm between caught between two worlds in some way. Um, yeah, it's I mean I feel like I've had a career of largely being miscast, mm. you know, and I've and I've just kind of done what I what I've done with what I've been given. But um, it's it's interesting. I I think. It's it's such a tricky it's such a tricky business where you you know you walk into a room and it depends what they're looking for and and in the best cases what happened to you with Malcolm and I've had my version of that too where it's written a different way and you come in and you own it in some way that they go huh and they give it to you and you kind of done a different slant on it. Is that what you do with Scandal? Were they like, was it a totally normal role? And then you were like, I'm going to play him as a gay male prostitute. No, Scandal was- That was funny. (laughs) Well, Scandal, no, but you know what? The Scandal was an interesting one where that came as- that came as an offer. And that doesn't happen to me a ton. Right. And it was was because of Linda Lowy. Uh, I had gone in for a pilot uh, years before and and it didn't work out and whatever it was. And- and I loved her as a casting director. She cast one of my favorite shows, Friday Night Lights. And all of a sudden, I had done, I had done some another pilot, and I got replaced. And all of a sudden, I was I had gone on a string of working. And this is 2014. And all of a sudden, this movie ended, and I was I thought I was looking forward to starting the series, and I and I was out of a job, and I was like, what am I going to do? And and I got this call, and I went. I was like. Whoa! How me me and in, in this and I just I just decided to play it as as genuinely as authentically as possible and let the fact that he was a gay male prostitute be what it was. But I was going to play the scenes with sincerity. With and I don't know. I'm sure you don't know the show, but basically I was being paid to get dirt on. Uh, Jeff Perry's character. Who's probably dead at this point. No, he's still, he's still there. But, but basically I knew that I was going to be kind of in between two worlds. And I thought, okay, well, I'm not going to play it like this mustache twirling prostitute is trying to get dirt. I'm going to play it sincerely. And then the writers can decide if I'm falling for this person or if I'm just the best, you know, uh, the best spy in the world. And that's kind of what they ended up doing with that character was I cool. toggle me back and forth between these two these two worlds, but that's exciting. Yeah. Aside, I got an email from Katie Lowe's today. Oh you know really? Katie? Oh yeah, yeah. You're she does these twenty three hour play festivals with the I Am a Theater Company. You yeah. should do it this year. Oh. Are you going to be in L A. in February? Uh, I think so. I'll hit her up. I'm going to tell I her. Think so. To bug you. Anyway, so you took so so you know it's like the the offer thing and coming in and. It's interesting your your take on it. I had something to say about that, which is that I don't remember. <laughs> Damn, well, sorry. You no, go ahead. I'm trying to think where where we were with it, which was um... oh, here's the thing. So these nose, right? The nose pile up, and then you start to feel a little bit bad about yourself. 
And you go, what is wrong with me? Why does my face look this way? Why am I this way? What's wrong with my voice? Why can't I be white? Why can't I be blonde? Why can't I be smaller, bigger, taller, thinner? You know, the validation, the danger, and this is what used to happen to me early in my career and probably for you, is that each no is a direct correlation to my self-worth. So that's super dangerous place to be. And that's why a lot of people quit in yeah. most industries when you start, because you're going to hear no a lot if it's a cutthroat, if it's a competitive industry. Every no is a, is a knock on who I think I am. So that's why it's been invaluable for me to develop other practices creatively, specifically to... Um, to be my lifeblood, like to be the things that actually matter to me. So I get validation from recording music. I yeah. get validation from being in what we call a cypher, rapping with my friends. I get validation from doing my podcast. That yeah. is mine. That's my creative thing. I write my own material. Um, I develop things with other people. I tell my own stories. Um, and that's where I get a lot of my joy from. I also play basketball. Like yeah. as far in my own mind, I'm a professional basketball player. <laughs> like this is all. Did you just... play in high school? No, no, no. What happened was, is I really wanted to play. I broke my wrist. I didn't make the freshman team. And the next thing I knew I was in the school play and I was getting that attention and that attention was juicy. And I was like, I should probably stay here. I should probably stay here and, and uh, do these dance competitions and get all this attention. Uh, that's like. I mean, that's a big no, you know, right there. It's, and that's a lot of people's story. With getting it, yeah, you know, they're they're an athlete. They got hurt, or mm -hmm. they're an athlete. They got cut, and yeah, they found yeah. But so, like, there's a ton of other things that I love so much, you know. And it's and so it's come to the point where, like, and maybe this is too specific for the people listening. This is probably just for the actors who are auditioning. Um, and I don't know if you do this, but I'll go in with my sides. I will do my scene, my audition. I will leave. And in plain sight of anyone who can see, I will throw those sides into the trash yeah. and then walk out of the room. I don't bring them in my car. I don't bring them home with me. They are left in the room and they're gone. And yeah. within 10 minutes, thankfully, gracefully, uh, it's out of my mind. Yeah. And it used to, and I'm sure for you too, and maybe it still does for the ones that really matter to us. Yeah. Way for days oh my God, it's 4 p.m. The audition was at 10 a.m. Why don't I know what's yeah. happening? And next morning it's 9 a.m. The audition was yesterday. What's happening? Like you, I mean, you have kids and a wife and yeah. a family. You have real responsibilities. Like I have uh, a dog, <laughs> <laughs> but you get it. Like, yeah. do, do, can you relate to, to that? Totally. Yeah. No, I used, I got that advice from the, the one actor that I knew. I'll have to have him on because he's such a, Great guy and a great mentor, uh, Patrick Collins, who did a youth group in my town um, when I was growing up. And he gave me that advice. He said, go in, do the audition, throw the sides in the garbage and leave. I've done that to varying degrees over the years. But I, I mean, I just did that actually yesterday. I just had something that uh, that I, I Big little lies. Oh, well, no, but I have a whole story about. Oh, yeah? I, I don't know if I can. If I want to tell it, but yeah, I have a whole what? thing with Big Little Lies. Yeah, I went in for that yesterday. Oh, I didn't go for the set. This is for the first season for something else because uh, it's for the I, coffee I shop owner. Because no. then we both went in for it. <laughs> no, no, but I'll, I'll, 
Yeah, I don't know if I want to tell that story. Oh, it's that bad, huh? No, no, no. It's not bad. It's not bad at all. It's just one of the, it's one of those stories where you, uh, it's 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 a no. I, I, don't, I don't want to. Tell, it was it was a no. Yeah, it was a no. It was a. Uh, I'll tell you after, and then I'll decide. If oh, I'm tell it. Maddie, <laughs> Maddie's listening audience is so disappointed. <laughs> this is the cliffhanger. Um, the Big Little Lies story. No, it's not that great, but it's it was a little bit. It was slightly heartbreaking. Um, you got those, but, uh, but those, you, but you know, that's, that's the thing that's interesting is like you, and, and I, what I have found, and actually I've found it through this podcast. Cause I, I don't just interview actors. It's all walks of life, all mm-hmm. different professions. And what I've realized is we think we're the only ones that go through this and you start to talk to people in other industries. And, you know, if they're in a competitive industry, this is the deal. It's like, you know, if you're. I was just talking to a guy, not for the podcast, but just I was on the East Coast, friend of a friend, and he is uh, like works for a venture capital firm. And he was telling me how, I mean, it's really the same thing. You know, he's like, they had 150 companies last year that they talked to. Of those 150, 20 of them went like further. Of those 20, 12 of them went to, you know, kind of further along where they're getting in. Of those, six of them. Of those, they, they worked with one of them. You know, and and there are other years where, yeah, but it's the same thing. You're preparing, you're doing all of this work for no reward. But in the long run, you have to do that work because the one that you do get pays for all of the, yeah, all the ones that you've gone, you know, hopefully. The question is, uh, you know, as somebody, you've been in the game longer than me, right? Uh, and... As such, you are a resource of knowledge that I want to tap. <laughs> sort of what's your practice with having, you know, you relate to this idea of work being directly tied to our personal self-worth, right? Yeah. How do you, combat is the wrong word, how do you surrender to, to how, do you, how do you work through it? Um. You know well, what I mean? Varying degrees of success in in working through it. Um, I think one thing I'd say is just getting older, having a family, mm-hmm. like having a wife and kids, and you realize like like so much of my life, my life in particular. There are many times I'm like, I'm not an actor. Like, I'm not in, I'm not in Hollywood. Like, whatever that means, you know, in quotes, Hollywood. Like, I'm not going to tons of premieres and parties and all that stuff. Like, I'm just, I'm like a, uh, I'm like a, a, a dad, like a husband dad who this is what I do. You know, so I don't, I feel like my identity is not, probably less so as I've, as I've gone along, is less wrapped up in whatever I'm doing as an actor at that particular time. And I think it's helped me. And I, and I actually think it's freed me up and, and made me um, maybe better at what I do because I'm not as, I have less of an idea of what my career is going to be. Mm-hmm. Like when I was in my twenties, you know, I, I remember, I don't know why this is popping. I remember like before I even lived in New York City, I was I was living at home. I worked for like a, a a mason over the summer after college. I was like laying patios, and that fall I was taking a train into into the city, into Manhattan, for like two nights a week for some class. And I remember reading, you know, a, an article, an interview with Brad Pitt, and it was around the time of like Twelve Monkeys. And I had this idea of what a, a 
you know, a career would be and what it meant. And it, it was just like a very different from what it is. And I feel like I'm a little more, um, I don't know, acting is maybe a smaller piece, a smaller pie piece in the whole pie for me now. And in a good way, mm-hmm. I, I care immensely about it, but I feel less like my, because you, what you realize is if, if you do tie yourself worth to that, um, to, to, you know, how well or not well you're doing, you really go insane Yeah, I mean, because there's like, sometimes it's random. I mean, as much as you sometimes feel like I nailed that audition and I didn't get it and you feel like you're, you've been slighted. How many times have I, you know, has someone else nailed something and I got the gig and they're watching me going like, Don, that girl sucks. What is he doing? You know, how'd he get that job? So it's like, you know, you can't, you know, you can't put your, it's almost like you can't believe the hype and you also can't believe the negative stuff that you'll tell yourself or maybe other people will tell you. Yeah. you Try to stay somewhere in the, in the middle. Right. And the, and the work doesn't really help, right? The work helps in one way, right? When the voice comes up and goes, hey, man, you're not good enough. I go, yeah, bro, but check my IMDb. Like, I'm, I'm good. Like, check Pete, my resume, negative voice. Like, there's tangible evidence. Yeah. You know, at the beginning, it was hard because the voice would go, you ain't shit. And I'd look and at And you'd my, have nothing to there's prove There's no otherwise. IMDb, yeah. Right. So you just go, okay, um, I have faith and I'm just going to keep doing it. Yeah. I'm going to keep doing it no matter what. And now you've amassed enough of, like, credentials to sort of put the voice at bay. Like, no, 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 I do this. Like, this is actually how we live the way we live. So it's okay. Yeah. But the other thing is, is I derive, and I'm hearing you say this, is I derive like most of my self-worth from everything but work. Like, it's how I connect with my friends and my family, my mother and my father. Like, how yeah. I, you know, my my dog, my, you know, my hobbies and passions. Like, those are the things, music, those are the things that like, where I walk into a room and I go, oh, it's cool. It's been a great day. Yeah. I'm going to get, this is the most that I have to use my brain today. And then I get to go have fun again. Yeah. So like, it's all good. But it's challenging. It once in a while. Time. Yeah. Once in a while, I feel like, you know, uh, th- this, I, I would agree with that. You know, you have a conversation. I, I feel like I keep saying this while I'm having these interviews for the podcast where I go like this, what we're doing right now, I love you know, I, I love just getting into it with someone and, and kind of dissecting. It's, it's great. It's like family time. Yeah. All that stuff. That's not, um, it, 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 the work, it depends on the job. I mean, I, I just got done with a job that I, I loved because they gave me more latitude in terms of, they gave all of the actors more latitude in terms of bringing their voice to, to the role, to the scene, you know, it, Movie, it was TV, TV, uh, a Goliath on Amazon. Cool. Really, really cool group of people. I feel like I keep dropping that on here because I'm, I'm just excited about Who's it. Who's the it's lead in that? Billy Bob Thornton. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It's a really good show. And it's a, and the way they work is just so actor friendly that you feel like it always felt like we were improving. That's like, how I just did uh, the Hank Azaria show, Brockmire. I, I saw that last night and yeah. I looked, I saw that you yeah. were doing that I and I tried to five, look at the show. What's five the- episodes of that. It's uh, for Hank Azaria as a baseball announcer who's like spiraling out, yeah. but it's Hank Azaria and he's just like, it's all New York guys, right? Yeah. Here's, 
And so sorry to interrupt with the, with this little tidbit, no. but like you go to LA, right? In LA, it's like the the typical around the camera, around like in the video village actor speak is like, oh, my manager did this, my agent did that. Yeah, we're developing this. Like so and so, who's your stylist? Like, what about your publicist? Like, how do you get what party, what premiere? Like, oh that. Oh, I heard she's like this. And it's all very business oriented, right? Mm-hmm. You go and work with New York actors and they're like, what part of your body feels it first when you cry? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. They're like, so how do you, um, how many times do you blink? Like, what is your, what's the process of it? Like when you get angry, like where does the heat start? Yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, these motherfuckers are talking about acting. <laughs> they're like going hard on the craft. So but it talk about an actor friendly set and Azaria gave me like uh invaluable Hank gave me invaluable information. Yeah. Um as somebody who's been there before and made the mistakes. Yeah. That's the jo- I mean that's the joy of doing what we do is that you get to work with um yeah, I mentioned Jeff Perry before on Scandal. I mean, Jeff Perry is one of the founding members of Steppenwolf Theater. I mean, that's, you know, it doesn't get any bigger in terms of theater companies. Like we, we had a theater company that we had for, with Messina and mm-hmm. some other New Yorkers. And, um, and we did a few shows and like that, you know, that was it. And we were young and proud of it and all that stuff. But it was like, Steppenwolf is, is an institution. And Jeff was one of the founding members with Gary Sinise and all these guys. And, and, you know, you work with a guy like that and you're just like, huh, you pick up so much or, and I feel like I've been like, you're talking about Hank Azaria. I feel like I've been really lucky with a lot of the, um, actors that were more seasoned than I was that I got to be around on different shows for a chunk of time. You learn a lot. And, and what I found the, the common thread is, the best ones were, you know, really in it for the work and and really um, humble about the work, you know, and and there wasn't a lot of the BS. It, w- it was really about the work. Mm-hmm. Um, I've tried to f- follow that. In, what does in that mean? Meaning like like a couple of the a couple of people um, that were you know, pretty big names and they weren't like, they were really great people and gracious to everybody on the set, but not in a BS kind of way that felt like it was a, a PR attempt to be thought of as a, they weren't trying to be liked. They were just being genuine. But when, when it came time to work on our scene, like we, we dove in, it wasn't like they were, they weren't polite about it. They were, you know, we, we would, but but they were they were genuine to to everybody on the set. I mean, I'm just thinking of guys like Jimmy Smith, James Gandolfini, John Spencer, Jeff Perry. Like they, they're really serious actors, mm-hmm. you know, who uh, were also good human beings, you know. And and I don't know I, that that has been inspiring for me. It's kind of, I feel like I'm talking a lot. No, here. man, you're not. <laughs> I'm just like I look away because I'm like picturing them. I know that that like. I feel the same way. That's who I want to be on a set, you know? That's who I want to be at work. It just takes faith, you know? It's like faith, family, and then work is like a third. But the the thing is, is on a set, like everybody's there. We all take care of each other. Any work environment, just learn everybody's name, show up on time, and do what you're told. <laughs> like, do what you do well. Yeah. And Hank 
gave me something invaluable. And again, this might just be for the actors, but maybe for creative people, this will help. And, you know, I was talking to him about the white famous experience because as it began, I felt super proud, right? Because here I am, I've changed the dynamic of the role. I brought a new Indian character into the atmosphere and like could be really cool to turn these sort of stereotypes on their head. Number one, I'm not the lead of the show. That ego needs to just get used to that real quick. Yeah. And that was challenging. Number two, um, I'm playing an agent. I'm playing an agent in a heightened version of Hollywood and agents in heightened version of Hollywood's are asshats. And uh, ego's got to take care of that. Look, that's just the way it is. Or you can quit. I don't want to quit. I like this job. Yeah. Well, then accept it. Yeah. You're going to be a little bit of a clown and you're going to be a little bit smarmy and you're going to be an agent. You're going to be kind of douchey. I don't want to be douchey. I always play douchey. I always play douchey or I play nerdy. Why can't I just be a cool guy like I did in the pilot? Because that's not what's being written for you. Yeah. So what happens is all these, I don't like what I'm doing, right? I don't like, I'm taking my role personally. Yeah. Imagine if you did your scandal role and you were like, oh my God, everyone thinks I'm a gay prostitute now. Like, and everywhere I go, I'm a gay prostitute. Now I hate, like, I hate, hate everyone. Why would they do this to me? Yeah. It just makes no sense. But I'm like, so I get it in my head as an actor. I'm like, okay, fine. I'm going to do every single take exactly the same way. And I'm going to hold on to each moment for dear life and craft it exactly how I need it to be so that nobody can edit me any differently than I want it to be done. And they're only going to get one version. Right. And I'm going to really protect this performance because it's already being disrespected so much. (laughs) I'm saying it in this voice to acknowledge how ridiculous these thoughts are. And in point of fact, that... um, philosophy made me miserable because I have, there's no love in that. Yeah. There's no joy and there's no faith in the creativity. It's all fear-based mm-hmm, yeah. of the people around me. Yeah. Here I am on my first television show, series regular, making more money than I've ever made on a premium channel. And I'm not happy. What a punk ass, like what a typical actor cliche. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I go and I work on Brockmire with Hank and I tell him this. I go, I went white famous. I did this. I was miserable. I didn't like how they were. Yeah. And then I did it and I made sure that it went exactly how I wanted it to be. But there was no freedom. And I looked and I watched it and I can't even tell. It's the same fucking thing. And he goes, I did that for 25 years. I did that for a long time. And what you want to do. He's like, here's the thing. You got to have faith. Yeah. And like, you only need 60 percent of a take to be good and then you have to trust that the editors will do what they do and if you do four different versions well what you end up getting in the editing room is a well-rounded performance they'll use this piece here that piece there this piece there it's not theater it's not like one take and you're done and they use that take you gotta have and there's also times when we don't have the perspective on it right where um uh, yeah, I had I had uh, a situation like that on Scandal one episode, and it was ironic. I was really uncomfortable with the way the scene went and the way it was going, and I I kind of um, and and our director was Regina King, who is I love her as an as an actor. Do you know Regina King? Of course. Yeah, and and she was such a cool person, and I was like, I don't know, I just don't. This feels cheesy. It doesn't feel that, and I and I I really couldn't 
let it go. She's like, I'm telling you, it's good, it's good. We, I ended up watching it when it was all cut together. I wasn't happy with it on the day. I wasn't happy with what I did. I felt like, you know, and then I watched it and I was like, ah, there you it, go. It worked. And then that episode ends up being the episode because of storyline and so many things that are out of my control. That's the episode that most people respond to. And and I think what, what I tell young actors, like, you know, if you're, is, is along the lines of, of what you're talking about, which is, when you're when you're acting on a on film or TV, you are a small sliver in the pie of the storytelling. Now you have to bring it, but ultimately you you provide the clay and someone else is gonna be putting mm-hmm. the, you know, they're gonna be sculpting it for better or for worse. And sometimes sometimes you look better than you really probably deserved to look. And sometimes you feel like you really brought it and it and it, you know, you're like, ah. Oh, I don't know. That seemed underwhelming. And that's that was one of the joys with Goliath is that I, I got the gig and I knew it was going to be the second season. And I went and I, I hadn't seen the show and I went and I, I streamed the first season. And I loved the show. I loved the tone. Great thing. And, I, and I loved all the acting. I mean, I thought all the actors were great. And I was like, huh, this is going to be, this is going to be cool. I mean, you go in totally... Just, just going like, yeah, total faith. And then it turned out that Larry Trilling, who's the guy who was the showrunner, I had worked with him a couple of uh, episodes on Parenthood, and he he works. I remember him doing this on Parenthood. He works in in a way that's just so freeing and so confidence building that you you would throw it out there, and then you just I kind of just walk away. And it it was what it was, and and trying to let go. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I mean that's a, an amazing director. It sounds like a guy who oh, knows. He's, you know, I love, the, the challenge and the responsibility that we have is when we have directors who know what it's supposed to look like, but don't know how to communicate. Mm-hmm. And there are several that I've worked with like that, who are like kind of dicks. Like they don't mean to be, but they say things that shut me down. Mm-hmm. It might not shut other people down, yeah. but they'll say something like, "Yeah, that wasn't really good. Let's try that differently." And I'll go, "Was that first part necessary?" <laughs> And I'll go, why should I? Why? Well, but like, yeah. it's about. It's it makes about, it more challenging, certainly. When yeah, that's and the you case. just have to go in and go, whew, all right, I just am going to go do something different. Like watching Hank Azaria work is like, he go, all right, I'm going to do a deadpan one. I'm going to do an irritated one. I'm going to do annoyed. I'm going to do happy. I'm going to do uh, perplexed. I'm going to do mirth. Like, and he's just going through it and he's prepared. Yeah. He's not thinking about his lines. He is 100% off book on the entire season before it starts. Wow. This dude is a OG, real deal, yeah. ready to go mofo. He is a- That's great to it's hear. It's pretty cool. Anyway, we're, it's hard though when you have to muster up that same enthusiasm that you're talking about giving, being given the space. It's m- way on more your of a own. challenge. If the material is, if you're not as crazy about the material or you're not as crazy about the people working with you, which is, you know, th- then you, then you have, yeah, it's more of a challenge. Um, and then you have to kind of do more work in kind of clearing your own space. You know, in, in a way you have to like, protect your own space and try to give yourself the freedom that maybe is not being given to you. And that's why, you know, some, some ones are, are easier than others. Um, so we'll, we'll wind it down. Um, 
I'm just trying to think if there's any, you know, I feel like we've, we've covered a lot in terms of like your, your, what, what you've had to overcome. It's not like you had, you know, anything where you were like, you know, hit by a a bus when you were 12, you know, but you, but you're, you know, it seems to me that you're the biggest cross to bear in a way is the way you describe it is your exterior not matching your interior in some way, in the way people perceive you versus what you are. But what I love is that you're talking about just owning it and and it will, it will be what it will be. Yeah. You're going to get hired sometimes. You're not going to get hired a lot of times. And that's, that's what it is. (laughs) And you know, this too is like, look, I get to be my authentic self now. I've been enough fake versions of me to know and to enjoy and really feel grateful that I get to live in this skin and have people that hold me accountable to staying in this skin. And the cool thing is, is as you know, you go out into the world and you, and if we lead with, you know, not to sound corny, but if we lead with love and respect, opportunities arise. It's nothing to do with the audition room. It has nothing to do with an interview. It's just when you go out into the world and someone goes, hey, this guy, Matt, 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 Matthew Del Negro. And I go, yeah, it's a great, that, that guy is the shit. That dude is the man. And it would behoove you to like give him a, ch- a shot. You know what I mean? And then that person goes, okay, I respect you. I'm going to bring him in. And they, and like, it, we just create a web of good yeah. people that way. Yeah. And that's what I'm interested in. And then speaking to like my exterior, look, South Asian Americans haven't been in this country for a long time. And as far as growth is, is considered, like in Hollywood, we've made great steps from 1988 to 2018. Like in 30 years, it's, it's changed a lot. It's gone from Fisher Stevens, a white guy playing an Indian guy in short circuit, to chilled monkey brains in Temple of Doom, to Harold and Kumar, to Van Wilder, to, you know... We have a South Asian American or South Asian born actor on several shows on television. Yeah. Granted, they're mostly doctors and computer people, but like they're working. Yeah. They're working and they're working well. And I see that as a as a great step in progress. And this is my mission or mission statement or my passion, my joy is to tell South Asian stories in normal ways. Like not monsoon wedding, <coughs> not slumdog millionaire or Shantaram. Just like love actually with Indian folks, right. like just normal, just to show people that this guy who they see and they go, he's too cool. Whoa. He doesn't fit the nerd is uh, uh, me who you're meeting now. Utkarsh is so much more actually what an Indian person in this country is like, right? you know what I mean? Than what people are used than to seeing. Than what you see them. on television. Yeah. Like you see like kind of a cool dude who's got some culture and like also some hip hop culture and also likes rock and like, you know, where our identities were able to mix and go through several different social circles because people didn't really know what we were. Yeah. <laughs> so like I've got from everywhere, I've got friends all over. And like, I think I'm much more like what we are than anything you see on television. And so it's fun to like be on text chains with all the other actors and like to be in to be talking to comedians and, and, you know, like, and all of us coming together to like, to move ourselves forward, you know? And I don't know what that looks like or how it looks, but everything I'm, I'm going through 
culturally speaking, and it's not some like great torch to bear, but it's important to me, is to set up a, the next generation of actors who don't have to do that. Who yeah. are like, computer guy, no. And everyone goes, I get that. Instead of being like, but that's what you are. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. But so it's like everything you're doing is just paving the way for people to come. And that's exciting. And, you know. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's it's just to, to see, you know, and I will, I'll, I'll let you go. I know you have things to do as well. And, um, but just to see you last night, I pulled up a clip from the Mindy Project where you're, you're up there rapping on the stage and you bring her up and it's funny and it's charming and it's, it's. That was it, cool. Yeah, it was great. And it's like, you, you, you know, it's. I remember seeing that episode um, and and going like, oh, who's who's this guy? And then working with you and putting it all together. Yeah, and and it, yeah, that's the kind of thing where you're, it is uh, forging a new a new path for yeah. you know for for people that are coming behind you. It's pretty cool. It's cool. Thanks, Mindy. Thank you, Mindy. <laughs> I can still play your brother again in any other any other show. And anyway, um, thank you so much for coming over, yeah, man. man. Thank you for for I sitting down with it. us. And uh, this has been this has been great. So you want to tell people? I know you mentioned sure. it, just where they could follow you. Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at utk the inc utk the inc. Uh, we've got a movie coming out February 9th on demand and in theaters called Basmati Blues with Brie Larson. It's a romantic musical comedy. Please check that out February 9th. March 23rd, you can see me in Game Over Man. Uh, it's a Netflix movie with the guys from Workaholics. In April, I'll be on Brockmire with Hank Azaria. Five episodes of that on IFC. And that's, I think that's enough for you guys. Oh, and you can listen to my podcast, Let's Talk About Me Baby, at the HeadGum Network. Man, you're a busy man. Yeah, bro. And then there's music, too. <laughs> um, all right. Thank you for being here. Okay. Bye. Thanks, man. Love you, bro. Thanks again for listening to 10,000 No's. If you haven't subscribed to us yet, please do. So each week's episode is automatically downloaded to your computer or phone. And if you like what you heard, please help us get the word out by sharing it with your friends and family. We'll see you next week. Thanks. Thanks.